Welcome to the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. It's September 16, 2013, and this is episode 387. From August 25 to September 5, 2013, I ran my first Iceland photography tour with Tim Vollmer. From today for a few weeks, I'm going to walk you through the tour with the aid of photographs selected from my final edit, which was 50 images. It was a tight edit as usual, so I may well only be able to remove a further 10 or so. So we're probably going to be looking at this becoming a four-part series. This episode was brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 20% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code MBP9. We'll hear more about our sponsors Squarespace later, but I wanted to start our main topic today by telling you that Iceland was a bucket list country for me. When I found out that I had that brain tumour just over two years ago now, I had just come back from Antarctica, one of my bucket list countries. Africa was another, and I was able to visit there in May this year, and Iceland was the third. I'm starting to add other countries now, I don't want to be without a bucket list, but both Iceland and Africa, in addition to Antarctica, all lived up to and probably surpassed my expectations. Photography is all about light of course and Iceland has simply amazing light pretty much all day. In August the days are still quite long with sunrise at 6.15 and sunset at 8.40 but civil twilight starts at 5.20am and ends at 9.30pm. When you are watching for the aurora It's also important to note nautical twilight, which ends at 10.45pm at the end of August, start of September. Of course, this is because we're so far north, with Reykjavik at 64.8 degrees north, so the sun never really rises that far in the sky. Because of this, we're never that far from the golden hour, so the light is beautiful the entire time. We started with a day of people arriving, but as many of the group was already in town, we went out for a walk into Reykjavik, which is a beautiful place. One of the most striking features is the amazing stone church, Hachsgrimskirka. Now, before we move on, I need to tell you that I found pronouncing Icelandic words very difficult, as you probably can tell. The dilemma here is that although I've tried to learn how to pronounce the various Icelandic characters, they don't sound much like you would think that they they do if you read them as an al- a Western alphabet. So if I try too hard here, you probably won't recognise the names either. Anyway, I'll try to be somewhat authentic in my pronunciation, but without going too far, and I hope that that works for you. I'll also link the words that are available, at least, to recorded pronunciations, a guide that I've found on the web. So if you want to hear the proper Icelandic pronunciation, click on the links on the blog. And this blog will be at mbp.ac387. 
all of the images will be there as well. So if you want to view them the largest possible, just go over to the blog post and click on the images and then you can navigate around with your mouse or your keyboard arrow keys. Anyway, this church was a magnificent structure. Sitting proudly on the hill in Reykjavik, visible from most parts of the city. Inside, it feels like you are looking up at an alien spaceship or maybe an upturned Viking ship. There's a beautiful pipe organ too, and one of the most amazing things that we found here, and pretty much everywhere else, is that Iceland, or you know, the, the Icelandic people are not very big on regulations. We use tripods inside the church, obviously trying not to get in the way, but nobody stopped us, and there were a number of places where most of the countries would have had security guards frog-marching us out of the building, but in Iceland, there was nothing like that. We found it to be a very photographer-friendly country. In this photo, I had obviously done a long exposure to capture the movement of the clouds. I used an ND8 for three stops and an ND400 for nine stops, giving me a total of 12 stops of darkness for an exposure of 75 seconds at f16. Although I got a number of exposures with no people in them, in the end, I went for this shot with the ghostly looking figures of moving people barely recorded in the frame. I feel it adds a nice extra element to the shot, and I really like the sky in this one too. Apart from the Silver Effects Pro black and white conversion, I didn't do anything to this in post except for dust removal, of course. Long exposures at small apertures and black and white conversions usually make every bit of dust show up in the final image. We worked out of Reykjavik for the first four days of the tour, and on the second day found ourselves out of, on the Reykjanes Peninsula. Although there are beautiful moss beds and lagoons out there, I find myself most excited by the dramatic view of the geothermal power plant that we see here. The trick behind this shot, of course, was waiting for the sun to catch the steam from the foreground towers, while leaving the background in shade, which allowed me to process this into a very dramatic industrial looking shot. It also feels like a nasty shot of the industrial revolution, but understand that all of that, everything that's being spewed out there into the atmosphere, it's just steam, it's not polluting smoke. Just across from the power station were some beautiful rocks in the ocean as we can see in this next photograph. Although I did some much longer exposures here too, as I found doing some of my seascapes in Okinawa last year, where there is dy dynamism like the breaking waves that we see here, I found that between 0.6 and 1 second exposures actually work better. I started out at this location telling the group 1 second, but we found that a slightly shorter 0.8 seconds worked better here as in this shot. The longer exposures were nice, but I preferred this approach so that we could actually see the full motion of the waves. There are two photos from this scene in my final selection, the first being slightly wider with a couple of people on the top of a rock outcrop to the left, but I feel this tighter composition is better. It's just a reminder that we don't need to include everything in our images. It's often as much about what we leave out than what we include. 
After leaving the Reykjanes Peninsula, we drove to a nearby church, but as we arrived, most of the group were more attracted by an old abandoned boat across the way, so we took a walk over there. Again, I posted two shots of this boat. The first was uh, in colour, and basically the boat was looked like it was sailing on its sea of green grass. But I prefer this second one, a black and white version with the sky seeming to radiate from the boat, almost like the scenes that we sometimes see in Japanese manga comics. This is one of two locations where I shot a few bracketed shots towards the end uh, for an HDR, but I didn't process them. I just don't find it necessary. I don't feel as though I need HDR with the dynamic range that we have in our cameras now. And the software, you know, such as Lightroom and Silver Effects Pro and Color Effects Pro bring out so much in the image that there doesn't seem really to be any point. Of course, if you'd like doing HDR for the HDR effect, then I'm not saying you shouldn't do HDR, but I personally, uh, although I still every so often shoot a few, enough frames to do one, I continue to use single frames for pretty much all of my work. This was a 60 second exposure at f14 by the way. The following day we got into the green mountains a little more and this photo is from our second stop of the day. I'll share a technique with you here that I was asked about and discussed when shooting this image. The question was do I use a depth of field calculator to find the hyperfocal distance when I want to achieve pan focus where everything in the scene is totally sharp. Although I do sometimes use a calculator, more often than not, if I'm using a wide angle lens, say 24mm or wider, I simply focus on something in the foreground and stop down to around f11 to f16 and I know that everything will be sharp and in focus unless I'm shooting at a very low angle and there's stuff very close to the, you know, just within a few feet that I also need to be sharp. As in this shot though, which I shot at 50mm, I use live view to check the extent of my focus. To do this, frame the scene and get your composition set up for your final image. And then, while in live view, move the square over the, to the foreground where you want to focus. And here it's on the edge of the rocks at the bottom of the frame and then hit the zoom button to zoom into five times magnification. Then hold down the depth of field preview button which is usually found on the camera body near the lens mount and manually push your focus out until you can see the foreground just start to go out of focus and then bring it back into focus. This ensures that your foreground focus is on the edge of the depth of field if you have your shutter button set to the default, it will uh, automatically auto-focus again when you press the shutter button to take the shot. So you might need to switch your lens into manual focus when doing this. Then once you've checked the foreground focus, shift the, the magnified area up so that you can see the mountains in the distance and hit the depth of field preview button again. And if the distant objects are also in focus, you're fine to go ahead and make your exposure. If you want to double check, you can again, while holding down the depth of field preview button, 
pull back the focus a little bit until the distant objects start to go out of focus and then move them back into focus. If you can pull back very far and things are still in focus, you could consider using a wider aperture, especially if you're stopped down past f16, which is where most lenses start to suffer from diffraction, which is where it, you know, everything starts to get soft, not just the things that are inside the depth of, outside the depth of field, but everything starts to get soft because the light's being pushed through a small hole. Another thing to note here is that in some scenes, if you get everything in sharp focus, you can end up not really being able to tell where the foreground ends and where the scene, it's the distant scene starts. This photograph was very much like that. So I opened it in Photoshop and duplicated the image and made one image just a little bit blurred. And then I masked in a very thin line of blur between the foreground and the distant scene to give us just a little bit more separation. You can probably see this if you view the image large, but hopefully you won't be able to notice this or you won't have, you won't have noticed this until I told you about it. It should have just been obvious where the foreground and the background were separated, if I've done this properly, of course. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 20% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code MBP9. I've spent a lot of time over the years developing websites to help show people my work in one way or another, and one thing I've learned is that Patchworking various bits of software and code together to make something kind of work can be very, very time consuming. You get started uh, with all good intentions and you battle through, maybe succeeding if you have a little bit of web coding background, and you end up with something that kind of looks okay to you. It's your baby and parents always think their kids are cute, right? But the truth is, it probably doesn't look as professional as you think. Then, as updates for your chosen software are released, you realize that you have to go back and do all of that customization that you did again, and soon you start, your site starts to fall behind because it's all way too time-consuming. The update process becomes a pain, and before too long, you really don't like your website very much after all. You stop posting images or blog posts, and the site falls by the wayside. As photographers, we have to have a good-looking web presence, and it has to be maintainable, or in the case of Squarespace, maintenance-free. With Squarespace, they take care of all of the background stuff, so that you don't have to do any of that. With a Squarespace website, the technical stuff just disappears into the background, so you can concentrate on publishing and sharing your content. You can add images instantly, drag and drop images directly onto your, from your desktop into your browser window. Many templates have beautiful full bleed image display, which are perfect for photographers and designers to showcase their work. With hundreds of customizable settings, including fonts, colors and sizes, every Squarespace website can be made to look unique with just a few clicks. Squarespace gallery blocks can be added anywhere on your website and offer hundreds of presentation variations including slideshows, sliders, grid layouts and more. 
Squarespace is constantly improving their platform with new features, new designs and even better support. They have beautiful designs for you to start with and all the style options that you need to create a unique website for you, for your photography or your business. It's incredibly easy to use, but if you want some help, Squarespace have a, an amazing support team that works 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It starts at just $8 a month and includes a free domain if you sign up for a year. Every design automatically includes unique um, mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website. So your content will look great on every device every time. You can easily connect Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Instagram, Google and many more websites and social services. Squarespace recently added e-commerce to their platform too. So if you want to set up shop and sell images or prints, you can do that in just a few minutes. Start a trial with no credit card required and start building your website today. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure that you use the offer code MBP9 to get a 20% discount off now and to show your support for Martin Bailey Photography. We also thank Squarespace for their support. Squarespace, everything you need to create an exceptional website. Back to Iceland though, and here's another geothermal power plant that we visited. The weather is so changeable in Iceland that it seems that you only have to wait a few minutes for a gap in the clouds to brighten up just the right part of the scene for this kind of dramatic effect. Of course I'm bringing much of this out in Silver Effects Pro, but without a difference in the brightness of the steam, you can't just create these layers of dark and light from nothing. This power station was once again a tribute to the lack of regulations in Iceland. There was a barrier across the entrance, but we just walked right into the facility grounds and shot away for a while. Of course, with the lack of regulations to protect you, you have to exercise a little bit of common sense yourself, so you probably wouldn't want to wander over and start hugging the pipes full of steam, but as they're all well insulated, you probably could do that too. I'm just trying to make a point though, you know, you, if you go too far with this stuff, you could get yourself into trouble. By this time, it was August 28th, and after the power plant, we headed over to a small woods where Tim had told us that there was a possibility of seeing some Amanita mushrooms. He told us that they were little red mushrooms with white spots, the, the ones like the ones that you see in fairy tales, but this didn't really prepare the group for what we found. When we arrived, the forest floor had scores of these cute little fungal friends and they were all about 6 to 8 inches tall and looked perfectly capable of supporting a small gnome as he rested on his way through the forest. I shot a whole bunch of images here, as many of the group did, but my favourite turned out to be this shot, where the mushrooms are shown more in their environment, with the light at the edge of the woods behind them. You can also see here that the white spots are actually like little white thorns on top of the red mushroom heads, as opposed to just spots of white, which I'd kind of expected. A short walk from the woods with the mushrooms was Uxararfos, which is a beautiful waterfall that's actually water flowing over from the American tectonic plate to the Eurasian plate. 
This is part of the actual rift between the two continents, with America being slightly higher than Eurasia. This is an 8 second exposure using the ND400 for 9 stops of darkness, and again a SilverFX Pro black and white conversion. I've darkened the rocks quite considerably here, preferring this dramatic look, and I dropped a few control points over the sky as well, to bring out some of the texture in the clouds. Sometimes when you do this you get a bit of a, a white line between the black of the rocks and the grey of the sky but this is easily removed in Photoshop. I've already done that on some of the images, but others like this one will still need to wait until I print them. I never print anything with that white line, even if I leave it in the web version like this, as it becomes very obvious in a print. A little back from where I shot the last image, there's a bit of an outcrop on which you can stand and get a shot like this of the falls and the river that hangs a shot right and runs along the rift between the two continents for a while. Tim showed his impressive knowledge of the locations he was guiding us to by telling us that you can include both the fawns and the river with a 24mm focal length from this spot, and that's exactly what I shot this with. In fact, I should probably mention that a few months ago I traded in my uh, version 1 24 to 72.8 L lens for the new Mark II version. I was never really displeased with the old version, but it was a bit of a brick and it could be a little bit soft around the edges sometimes. This new little baby though is sharp as tacks into the corners and the smaller and lighter lens is just so much better than the original. So I'm really enjoying shooting with this new version. About a kilometre from the falls is the Thingfetlir church, which is a beautiful little white church. I had my eyes on the sky as we approached the church, and I was happy to find an angle where it looked like the sky is radiating out of the church steeple. Some people like to use tilt-shift lenses to correct warped perspective like this, but I generally reach for my rectilinear 14mm and enhance it even further. I love this look, and I knew that the sky would pop beautifully in black and white. It wasn't an obvious sky unless you think in black and white. Sometimes I decide to convert into black and white because the colour isn't adding anything, uh, or even getting in the way, but sometimes, as in this case, I just know from the start that the image is going to be converted. Note too that unless I've got a pretty good reason to go askew, I usually use the digital level in the camera to ensure that my horizon is straight. In this case, that meant that the lines in the centre of the, the church, in the centre of the frame, leading up to and including the steeple, are all perfectly straight, and everything else is leaning in a little bit, or maybe a lot. Without the level, it's difficult to get this sort of thing looking as natural as it can for such an intentionally warped perspective. Okay, so that's our 10 shots for today. We'll pick up the trail on August 29 with a brief visit to Geysir, where we shot the impressive geyser, sometimes known as the Great Geyser. 
and this spouts water some 70 metres high every five to eight minutes. It was a nasty grey day when we were there, but with a little bit of processing, the images are still quite impressive, as we'll see next week. And after all, the, those nasty grey skies are what I was after most of the time anyway, so no complaints. If you'd like a sneak preview of the entire portfolio from Iceland though, it's now under the portfolios menu at the top of my site at martinbaileyphotography.com. As part of the work I'm doing to bring everything under one roof, I've now started to put my portfolios here too. Also note that we have already started taking bookings for the 2014 Iceland tour, which will be run from September 22 to October 3, 2014. These are great dates as the days will be shorter and although I wasn't expecting Aurora when we were here this year for this year's tour, we, we got them and I now know that this, these later dates give us a better chance of seeing some Aurora before it gets so late that it starts to eat into our sleep time. So it would be great to see you there and if you want to take a look at the details you can type in mbp.ac slash Iceland 2014 into your browser or again this is now under tours and workshops on the top menu at martinbaileyphotography.com if you want to check this out later. Thanks very much for listening today. Remember that you can find me on Google Plus and Twitter and links to everything that I'm up to are at martinbaileyphotography.com so do drop by and take a look. I'll be back next week with another episode, but in the meantime, you take care and have a great week, whatever you're doing. Bye-bye.